Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I have in the studio Tessa Stewart, Brittany Spanos, and Simon Vozik Levinson. And we're going to be talking about music and politics specifically to start. So Taylor Swift made her first political endorsement, and that went pretty smoothly. And Kanye West visited the White House, and that went some kind of way. I don't know. Maybe we can hear, just to get a mood of it, maybe we can hear a little bit of what happened when Kanye West sat in the Oval Office across from the President of the United States. You know, they tried to scare me to not wear this hat, my own friends. But this hat, it gives me, it gives me power in a way. You know, my dad and my mom separated, so I didn't have a lot of male energy in my home. And also, uh, I'm married to a family that, um, you know, <laughs> not a lot of male energy going on. It's beautiful, though. But there's times where, you know, it's something about, you know, I love Hillary. I love everyone, right? But the campaign, I'm with her, just didn't make me feel as a guy that didn't get to see my dad all the time, like a guy that could play catch with his son. It was something about when I put this hat on, it made me feel like Superman. You made a Superman, that was, that's my favorite superhero. And you made a Superman cake for me also as a guy that looks up to you, looks up to Ralph Lauren, looks up to American industry guys. Now Wow. You guys, you all look really good in your MAGA hats today, by the way, I have to say. <laughs> Tessa, what is this? What is happening to our country? What, what do you make of all this? Well, and, and I should say Tessa is one of our politics reporter. Yeah, I think that I think it's significant that this happened the same week as the Taylor endorsement because the Trump campaign and now the Trump presidency has had a lack of star power. Like you can remember at the Republican National Convention, Scott Baio was one of the biggest names there. So, I mean, I guess there was also Kid Rock was there this week Mm -hmm. this was part of a music modernization yeah um the signing of of the legislation around music modernization act but i think that it was significant that it happened the same week as taylor because i think that was a a blow for the republican party that she came out and supported democrats yeah i mean we were talking about the registration issue which is that uh, apparently taylor votes in tennessee Mm -hmm. Uh, i did not know that Uh, she has residences in various places it makes sense i guess that she would be registered in in tennessee and and she she made an endorsement there and uh, more broadly encouraged her fans to register to vote and 166,000 people across the united states submitted new registrations on vote.org between sunday and noon on tuesday and as as we're saying uh, many of those could be accounted for just that the the deadline was approaching for registration but the number is higher than usual and then 42 percent this seems significant of the registrants uh, fell between the ages of 18 and 24. So, Tessie, you were saying you think Taylor had an impact. Yeah, I think for young voters especially, people do care how Taylor Swift votes. In 2016 on election day, who was Taylor Swift voting for was more Googled than any other public figure. And I think that's because she does have this really broad base of support across the country. Her support is strongest in conservative states like Montana and Utah, Nevada. I think that people do care what her thoughts are are on things. And specifically, she endorsed uh, the Senate candidate Phil Bredesen and had some harsh things to say about Marsha Blackburn who his Republican opponent. And uh, I always have and always will cast my vote based on which candidate will protect and fight for the human rights I believe we all deserve in this country. I believe in the fight for LGBTQ rights and that any form of discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender is wrong. I believe that the systemic racism we still see in this country towards people of color is terrifying, sickening, and prevalent. And, you know, what this was, in addition to 
an endorsement of a specific candidate and urging her fans to register to vote is a full coming out as a progressive Democrat for someone that, you know, people doubted not just her not speaking out. I think some people literally thought she was a Republican. Now, it was never some secret alt-right person. That was all an insane fantasy of either actual outright lunatics or people who just hated Taylor Swift and wanted to paint the most awful thing they could on her. What do you make of that, Simon? Like all this projection that went on with Taylor. I think that when you're as famous and beloved as Taylor is, there's always going to be some level of projection that people do onto you. I think also, to be fair, she did very carefully avoid making political statements that might alienate part of or part or all of her fan base. I think it's great that she's stepped up and said what she apparently felt all along now. I mean, isn't that a significant change that we really are looking to our pop stars for this? Yeah, and I I think it goes back a lot to the Black Lives Matter movement. I think we were really looking to and hoping and expecting that our public figures, our pop stars, our actors, especially people who are white, like Taylor, to speak out on these issues that were about racial discrimination. And I think there was a deafening silence around that in the way that a lot of other issues like women's equality, LGBTQ rights, there weren't as much of a deafening silence from our biggest stars around like things like that. And so when we did get to the Trump campaign and how specifically oppressive it was to every single minority group, I think her silence felt even heavier. Well, she'd come out as a feminist. You know, mm-hmm. She was vocal on that. And I think that's one reason why people were taken aback that she didn't take a side in, in, in Hillary versus Trump. But mm-hmm. when I spoke to Lena Dunham, who is friends with Taylor about this, and Lena, you know, <laughs> Lena faces a lot of flack for almost everything she does, but specifically for being a, a strong Hillary supporter, even back during the primary, she faced some pretty frightening harassment and waves of hatred. And based on that, she kind of suggested that she personally could not blame Taylor for not getting involved because she could only imagine sort of, you know, multiply what you get as Lena Dunham and then multiply it by someone the level that Taylor Swift is at. So we, but we don't really know. Taylor hasn't done an interview. I hope she does and I hope she can explain, I hope she'll want to explain just her thought process. She may have people in her family who are Republicans. Uh, she had a friend who was, who was dating someone who was related to Jared Kushner. There's all sorts of weird back and forth in there. Who knows? But I will say, correct me if I'm wrong, I think overall, the reaction from the left to Taylor, and we'll get back to Kanye because there's a lot, um, there's a lot there. But the reaction to the left from Taylor wasn't. My first thought was all these people are going to be like, "Too little, too late." Where the hell were you? And there was some of that, but I think overall it was sort of like dot dot dot. Fine, welcome to the resistance. Thank you. I don't know if it's the resistance to endorse it. That, that was a joke. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was a joke, obviously. <laughs> but, but I mean, it's sort of like you know what? Welcome to the red side. Thank you. It's mattering now, and bygones be bygones. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that wasn't the overall. No, I, I agree. As a ranking member of the hashtag resistance, I think yeah. it's great. <laughs> The terrorist is, is endorsing Democrats. I think that's awesome. A colonel, what is your, your rank? <laughs> yeah, I think she also had, I would say, one of the best statements I've seen from a public figure from a pop star as big as she is that really broke down why she's voting for who she's voting for more than just like a simple like vote yes. for this person, vote yes. Democrat, vote whatever. Like she really broke down exactly why. Marsha Blackburn is not fit for that position and why she's not voting for her and why she disagrees with her. And she went through all of that in a very detailed post and also encouraged people to be educated voters, which I think is more important than anything else. Yeah, you could contrast that with Amy Schumer's last minute endorsement of Governor Cuomo, which was yes. a very poor celebrity endorsement <laughs> mm-hmm. that she rescinded like yeah. the next day. And then day. voted for Cynthia. Yeah. <laughs> 
What Taylor said about Blackburn, the Senate candidate she was uh, encouraging everyone to vote against in Tennessee was that she voted against gay marriage, she voted against equal pay for women, and she voted against the reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act. And these are not my Tennessee values, she said. And yeah, it's very explicit. And, and Taylor did say that there's been things in her life and in the world in the last couple of years that have pushed her towards this moment, which I thought also maybe helped people get past whatever resentment they had because she's explaining, she's not acting like she's always been saying this. <laughs> but I do remember this conversation I had with her, which was that I watched her, and this is what everyone who did features on her got to watch, is like her sort of like pressing the flesh, like just like meeting all these, whatever, MTV executives, all the people she had to sort of meet and greet and just like dealing with people. And what I saw was like a politician. And I said, you know, maybe she should run for office someday. And she's like, I might have to go to college. So, <laughs> uh, so it's, it's, that's, that still could happen. But we were talking, and again, we'll get back to Kanye. I think we're all, we're avoiding Kanye because it's so upsetting, but we'll get back to him in the next segment. We were talking about just this general era and one of the dumber things that people tended to say when this election happened was, oh, there's going to be so much good music, there's going to be so much protest music, it's going to be like the 60s. And it's like, actually, which first of all, that's a dumb thing to say on so many levels. But second of all, <laughs> other than the Katy Perry album, it hasn't been that much of a wave of sort of super political music. Even Kendrick Lamar was like, you know what, I'm not going to directly... What he said specifically is it's like beating a dead horse. He didn't want to directly hit Trump over and over again. Eminem did, as, as someone was saying. Uh, Axl Rose is very vocal on Twitter. <laughs> Woke Axl is a fascinating thing. It was but, a, a hot uh, Devendra Banhart track about yes. the 25th Amendment. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, I missed that one. Okay, so <laughs> it tends to be, and, and as, as Simon was saying, like certainly in indie rock, there's plenty of, of stuff. There, there are definitely lots of bands who will make political statements at their shows or encode them in their lyrics, but I think the truth is the most political music that's happening now is in terms of who musicians themselves are, the spaces that they're occupying and the lives that they're living. That's, that's what's politically radical more than sort of like a song where you say the obvious thing of like, I think Donald Trump is bad. I think that's a great point. It's also like, there's just something corny now about just, I'm sure there's a way to do it where you're not being corny but I think that's maybe what people are struggling with or corny or awkward because let's I mean poor Katy Perry really did attempt to make what, what was it it wasn't woke pop what was it again purposeful pop was purposeful the pop. Term Never forget. she was using it, yeah <laughs> And it didn't work. It felt forced. It felt weird. And it's just like, it's yeah. tough. I, I don't know. Why was there a time when it felt so natural for music to turn political and now it feels kind of dorky if it did? I mean, I think the era specifically that we're living in and the way that we consume culture and the way that we're talking about political issues, it's hard for the music to not just regurgitate conversations that we're seeing happening on like Twitter and Facebook and having every single day whereas like you think about the kind of pre-social media American idiot type of stuff like that stuff was kind of bringing broader voices to conversations that weren't happening 24-7 online with everyone around the world. One of the biggest weaknesses of Katy Perry's Witness is it was just kind of regurgitating a lot of conversations we were having and watering them down to the point where just like why did we even have to have it in a terrible song. Now there was of course this is America, uh, Childish Gambino. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why. That feels like it's sort of of itself. I think it's great that, that he, w he was doing that. I think that we all kind of agree that it was 
maybe more of a video than a song per se that the yeah, video the, kind of drove the the song and then once you were hearing the song without the video it didn't have the same impact but certainly it would be foolish to like ignore that that did happen yeah know? i mean the video is a great piece of political art for sure the video and song together the song itself isn't super political there's not a, a really clear or distinct message mm-hmm. to the song which is not a knock against it but the the political content i think comes in the in the visual component and then yeah again it was like eminem taking on trump which you know i mean listen i mean he again it's easy to clown on Eminem. Uh, Lord knows that is one of the world's favorite uh, occupations. But, you know, there's no doubt that there was overlap between Eminem and Donald Trump's fan base. You know what we're neglecting to mention is uh, Willie Nelson's new song, Vote Him Out, that he, he sang in support of Beto O'Rourke's campaign in, in uh, Texas. Good for Willie. And that actually is a good example of someone who can actually possibly make a difference because they're at that sort of actually not that differently than Eminem in the sense that they actually are in that whatever point where their fans are on both sides. And of course, there was uh, YG's uh, Fuck Donald Trump, which which is a great (laughs) song. And maybe that I was going to say that maybe that just said it all early on. (laughs) Like, well, what else needs to be said? I think some of it's like, it's so insane what's been happening the last two years that everyone's like struck mute uh, on an artistic level. It's just, it's so deranged that how do you, you can't encompass it in a song. You can't encompass it in an article because it's, it's just, it's just deranged. I think you need a genius <laughs> to, to find a way to wrap all this up in the song, like the tragedy and horror and comedy of it all, all at once. Yeah, I think it's also a matter of audience reach, too. It's like a lot of the protest music that we are getting, it's about who it reaches and whose minds it can change. And I think there's also this idea of like, can you actually reach this audience that you'd want to change their minds and get them to vote out Trump or kind of reconsider their ideologies and things like that? It's I think that's also kind of disheartening and also maybe discouraging a lot of people from doing that. Again, also why a statement from someone like Taylor Swift, whose audience does reach a lot of those points that Donald Trump's fan base is that kind of power is there. I would also say that uh, Shawn Mendes and Khalid had that song uh, Youth, which was, I mean, it was basically like, that's the other thing. It's like sort of tragic that that's what protest music is reduced to is like literally please don't kill me in the school shooting is what that song is about i mean it's so dark that's what that song is about you know essentially i don't know maybe it's just all too much at once i don't know but that is a protest song though for sure you know it's another good protest song that kind of captures some of the vibe is uh the british rock band the 1975 have a single out now called love it if we made it is that the we didn't start the fire one exactly yes (laughs) they they quote trump's access hollywood tape they say r.i.p will peep there's a lot going on there but it, it kind of uh captures a little bit of the chaotic circus-like uh, quality of life in 2018. Actually, the, it's a great point because I think that's someone's attempt to do what I was saying. As I said, it would take a genius <laughs> to, to capture all that. At least someone tried. And, and maybe we can hear uh, Love It If We Made It by the 1975 when we have that ready. And uh, the dude from the 1975 said he was familiar with We Didn't Start the Fire, but thought it was an In Excess song. That's a very funny joke. People compare him to the singer of In Excess all the time. Uh, <laughs> being funny there. I'm not sure if it was He's a joke. Uh, maybe he said Dire Straits. I don't know. Anyway, you're listening to Rolling Stone Music now. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. We started talking about Kanye, and then we got scared and started talking about Taylor Swift. But let's go back to Kanye West. Look, it's 
it's a pretty wild thing that happened yesterday. And yes, as, as Tessa was saying, there were it was sort of a, a two-part thing because first there was the Music Modernization Act, which seems to be the one bill that Donald Trump signed that everyone is more or less cool with, uh, a necessary thing to get royalties for older acts. And there were a bunch of people there. Kid Rock was there. Sam Moore of Sam and Dave was there. We're, we're not exactly sure what, what he was doing there, but you know, Sam Moore can do whatever he wants as far as I'm concerned. Uh, he did, you know, no, no. <laughs> yeah, he, he made Soul Man. He made he Soul did. Man. Yeah. He made a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Hold on, I'm coming. Come on. Yeah, like, it's, a great time. it's like, you know, <laughs> Sam and Dave, man. And Dave's not around. You got to do something. You know, it's, it's tough. But um, so that all happened. But then Kanye had uh, had a lunch with Trump. And before the lunch held, I don't know what you'd call it. It was like a, a press conference sort of in the Oval Office or a public meeting where Kanye started just talking. And, and it's, you know, one of the crazy things is like I remember being at like the Bowery Ballroom for an amazing show, whatever it was, eight years ago, and him embarking on a very similar rant, except he was in, on the stage in Bowery Ballroom and not in the Oval Office. <laughs> and look, you have to try to find some of the lights. So the other part is he inevitably, as he would do, whether he's on stage in an arena or you know, just standing on a table somewhere or whatever, or in the Oval Office, he started talking about Adidas and then his fashion stuff, because that's inevitably what happens is he starts talking about how the leverage he needs in dealing with fashion companies. But it was pretty wild. It was kind of disturbing. The reaction was not good. Uh, T.I., who did that awkward song with him and tried to really talk some sense into Kanye a few months ago, now says he's given up on him forever. Uh, said some really harsh things, like shot, I mean, very harsh, written them off. People are hurt and angry in the black community and, and in just generally people who are not Trump supporters and what Kanye fans are, are not feeling this. One of the things I, I think is worth talking about that's really interesting is the similarities between Kanye West and Donald Trump on certain temperamental and other issues. One thing I would say, and I don't know if any of you noticed this, is so when Kanye was able to speak nonstop for 10 minutes off the top of his head, ricocheting from subject to subject without the slightest thought for the consequences of what he was saying or the accuracy of what he was saying. And for once, Donald Trump was sitting there three feet away from someone doing that. And I really thought that Trump had some genuine reaction to seeing someone else do his thing. I thought he was sort of odd or disturbed or, or what, what do you think? If you know what I'm talking about, Tessa. Yeah, well, at the end of Kanye's monologue, Donald Trump just said that was very impressive and kind of like <laughs> nodded. It's um, like game recognizes game, I think, essentially, yeah. Yeah, no, you make a really good point. The thing that sprung to my mind when you were saying that is something Brittany said recently, which is that they're both Geminis, Kanye and Trump. <laughs> there's, there's no astrology allowed on this show, but, but we'll, 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 we'll let it pass. Sorry. No, I think you make a really good point. It's it's interesting to think about uh, about the fact that, that Kanye was, was pulling a Donald Trump right in front of him. There's a certain, there's a narcissism you, you, you pointed out, Simon, obviously. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the obvious thing that Kanye and Donald Trump have in common is that they're both narcissistic assholes who you never know when to stop talking. But I would say the huge difference between them and the thing that makes this such a huge bummer is that Donald Trump never made a college dropout or a late registration. He's not a great creative artist who's fallen to this terrible depth where Kanye really is, and it's sad. 
he never even made a yeah. He's made nothing. Not uh, even you. It's an heartbreak. Yeah. 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 Great uh, at tax evasion. <laughs> that's true. He was so sort of an the, artist. He, that, that's a great point. He was the Kanye West of tax evasion. <laughs> so, but he's he's really. I have a feeling that maybe he's falling off on that front. Yes, narcissism, and I mean, I will say, Simon, I, I know, and that I, I enjoy making you slightly uncomfortable on this subject, just Thanks. in general. But it's. I mean, I share with you a history of defending Kanye. You know, we, we defended Kanye because a lot of times he was the target of attacks that were racist mm-hmm. and unfair. And look, did he do dumb stuff? Yes, but it often had some meaning behind it. He was undoubtedly one of the most important musical artists of the 21st century. It's so embarrassing when White House reporters were like, what, was, what are some of his songs? I don't know this kind of... It's like they're just clowning themselves. And then it's not just like it's you and me. It's tons of people who've been defending him and defending him. And it's just in the last, you know, whatever year or so, it's become, I think, impossible to defend him right and that's a little that's painful and weird to adjust to yeah no, that's definitely true exactly what you said i mean i feel like i've spent a lot of my adult life defending <laughs> kanye and rationalizing his behavior and putting it in context you know and yeah he's hit a low point where you can't really do that there's no context that explains this or, or makes it okay well and this is something that that needs to be talked about with extreme delicacy and but i, I will say that what people who are sensitive to issues of mental health have actually been saying for the most part, and I think it's gone a a couple different ways, but one thing that I've noticed people say over and over on Twitter, people who are are sort of activists in that space, is that don't blame his mental illness or possible, let's give him credit, possible mental illness for the things he's saying. Well, and this is what I've seen them say, is that there's plenty of people who suffer from manic depression or or don't, who don't turn into MAGA Republicans. Like, And it, it is sort of like the Roseanne Barr, how Ambien doesn't make you racist. It would be a very unusual form of mental illness that made you into a MAGA conservative, I would say. So maybe that doesn't give him a pass. Whether there's something going on as far as like the intensity of the way he's presenting all this, I think that's, you know, we'll see. And I think everyone hopes that wishes him the best with his health. I think he said that he's not manic depressive. Um, He said that he was, that was all untrue. I will say, and this is just, you know, factual stuff, People Magazine who appear to have Kardashian sources say that family sources say the opposite and that they're concerned about him. But then, and I was saying this to Tessa before the show, the thing that I found freaky and significant and disturbing is that according to People Magazine's anonymous Kardashian sources, what they're trying to say to Kanye, the things you're saying don't make sense, we're concerned about you. And then apparently what they think he's going to say back, and this is where I think it's incredibly significant, kind of like a little earth shaking, is he's going to say, well, that's not what the President of the United States thinks. And that's intense, right, Tessa? If you really think about it. Yeah, it's very intense. But so much of our reality these days defies kind of convention. I don't know what to say about it really well it suggests that the quote-unquote leader of the free world uh, is that his own grasp of reality is tenuous which is true sorry <laughs> it's, it's like it's true and it's i think when you're living in a fact-free void all sorts of bizarre gravitational events can happen and this is one of them and and that does lead me to another thing that that's pretty prosaic about kanye which is it's very clear that he like many people probably in the united states and in the world is someone with who doesn't read a lot by his own admission, which I think we can now all agree is officially a mistake, but he's been radicalized by YouTube, right? I mean, and that's a big, whether you want to call it a problem or just a fact, a lot of this sort of red pill, MRA, 
whatever stuff is coming from young men or not so young men, particularly who fall into a, a YouTube rabbit hole and come out radicalized. I mean, that, that's the thing, right, Tessa? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can recognize in some of the things that he says direct quotes from YouTube conservative YouTube personalities. You probably know more about this than I do, Simon, but I, I think that he's been spending some time with Candace Owens. Yeah, they're, mm-hmm. they're buddies. He tweets yeah. about how great she is. Yeah. yeah, He brought her on to TMZ with him that day that he said that slavery didn't exist. What's disturbing is he made the, he said the stuff about slavery, so said slavery was a choice, and then just kept going. He's kept going. That wasn't the bottom. It just, it just has kept going. Now he's on this thing about the, sorry, he's on this thing. Sorry, I can't help laughing because I don't know. He's on this thing about the 13th Amendment, and part of his thing is, I didn't realize that he thinks that the problem is it's the 13th. The 13th is bad. He said we don't have the 13th yes. floor, which I think Trump probably agrees with, you know, like as, as a building maker, I guess true. The 13th is very bad. <laughs> um, but, but so I guess part of it is just the bad luck of them. But then I guess there's an actual something of a point embedded there. He believes that it allows for prison labor that could be construed as slavery, and that's what he's against. But then it starts to seem like he's also saying just abolish the 13th Amendment, which is... The thing to remember with Kanye with all of this is that barring anything else that could be going on that we can mull over, I think he's always spoken with the same level of conviction about whatever he talks about and he loves to hear himself talk. This is why the idea of a Kanye rant, which is a term I'm going to use very loosely because I think a lot of it was very racially coded when it was used in the past. He he loves to hear himself talk and he loves to talk at length on a lot of subjects and he loves to shock people a part of what makes it so sad is because a lot of his convictions were related to racial identity and the way that black people are treated in america and the idea of george bush doesn't care about black people the idea of him speaking out to defend people at award shows when they don't ask him to the idea of him you know making a song like new slaves or black skinhead and the idea of him defending his art and his space in fashion when he's spoken about being a black man entering the fashion world and a lot of those kind of really weird monologues that he was giving and interviews he was giving about his existence in those spaces. I think he enjoys shocking people and I do think there's a level of his past year where he is trying to find some type of relevancy in shocking people and I think that having being backed by the president of the United States for whatever reason feels like a power to him that he can unlock that no one else can. That's a great point. You think it's sort of like that old Onion story, like Marilyn Manson going door to door trying to shock people? Like that basically, yes. And Uh, I do think that's a big part of what's pulling a lot of this. And I think we hear it in his music and a lot of him trying to regain that relevancy that he may not feel he has, even though I think a lot of people disagree with him. Ari Melber, uh, the, the, uh, I guess, MSNBC guy who's a big hip hop fan, had an interesting thing because he thought a lot about the Kanye Trump thing. He said before this, he said that he thought Kanye kind of saw Trump like a sneaker, like that he was just this sort of art object that he liked. And I think there was some of that, but I think also definitely what part of it is, is like Kanye identifies with Trump. He thinks that if Trump can be president, he can be president. He sees Trump as someone as like this underdog that people said couldn't do something and then he did it. And Kanye's an underdog and it's just, he also, I mean, just to get back to your point about racial issues, I mean, he's spitting like pernicious lies about welfare and and like the black family and just things that are like incredibly discredited and just saying them. And and I think that that's one of the things that really broke people's hearts. Yeah, and I, I think he's become really obsessed with the idea of high culture and low culture in the last five years and 
for him, I think the idea of a reality show president, he has taken that to sort of reflect his own family life in a weird way. And so I think he's taken it kind of like too far. And I, I don't think this is because of the Kardashians, but I do think he has used it as a way to empower that kind of like connection to it to empower his own views on the lighter side i, I will say that he, he he tried to get trump to replace air force one with something he called the iplane one a hydrogen powered airplane that a was just some prototype that's on the internet b hydrogen powered airplanes don't work c there has no connection with apple whatsoever he just <laughs> made that up um and then also d he kept talking about manufacturing in china and that's where he used his sneakers are made and then also i will say that he had a couple other amazing things like that if if we make Trump look bad, we look bad, and then he should have all the flyest stuff, the flyest factories. And then I got really confused. I didn't know what what factories he was talking about. But and then the, the whole superpowers with the hat thing is just like, what is he talking about, Simon? What is he talking about? He's talking about the dumbest fucking political philosophy <laughs> in the history of humanity, which is this you know red pill MRA men's rights nonsense. He thinks that the hat represents a form of masculinity. It makes him feel more like a man. It's incredibly sad that he needs a hat for that. It's just like a super lame, very basic, bottom of the barrel political philosophy that's out there that he's gotten suckered into. There's theories that there's infinite amounts of universe. Now, I know what he's saying, but I really <laughs> love how, how he phrased it. Uh, I have that theory, too. One of the things about Donald Trump is that obviously he lives in this world of celebrity culture. It's one of the only things that's really real for him. You know, this is a guy who tweeted about Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson more than once. Like, this is the world that matters to him. And this Kanye thing matters so much to him. And Tessa, you were making a point about that. Yeah, I was I was just talking about Taylor Swift and how I was struck by how soft his criticism of Taylor Swift was. He said that he likes his her music 25% less now, which I thought was striking given how he's been willing to attack other artists in the past. Much and, more forceful. And we were trying to figure out why that is. What and what do you think? Is it because she she didn't attack him directly? He doesn't really care about Marsha Blackburn? I think that's part of it. I think that he's also demonstrated a willingness to attack black public figures a lot more than white public figures. He's shown a willingness usually to attack women uh, more than men. Someone said that he might be scared of her. Was that you? That was me. I yeah. think he's terrified of her. He knows, you know, Taylor Swift is a wildly popular person, much more popular than he is. She could also beat him in a fistfight. Let's face it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, his his criticism of her was incredibly soft. Yeah, he likes her music 25% less. That's like how I felt when she released Look, how, uh, Look What You Made Me Do or like one of, her, one of the rest good singles. Like, you know, 25% is not that much. I'll defend Look What You Made Me Do. Come on. I think you're wrong about that. The but other yeah, singles from yeah. that album were great. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> Mike Huckabee's criticism was also pretty soft of her he said um she's entitled to her opinion but it's only going to matter if 13 year olds vote in tennessee oh man what a cornball i'm still offended by that but you know what i think she unnerves them i would actually compare it to like when bruce springsteen first came out and started being explicitly partisan is that no one like tore into bruce springsteen because bruce springsteen is a beloved figure it's like tom hanks doesn't get torn into for his political opinions because he is a beloved figure taylor swift is a beloved figure in america and yes you know what there are a lot of racial and other overtones to that by being like a white blonde woman she gets to be a less controversially beloved figure than someone who doesn't you know fall into that demographic so that's not fair or or, you know like that is just a thing but yes i mean i think they're scared of what she represents they're scared of like this sort of you know i mean if she can get that many people to register Imagine if she turned stridently 
anti-Trump, they might be genuinely alarmed that that's going to happen. And that's not good for him, especially if you live and die by celebrity. And one of the absolute biggest stars in the world, it's sort of like the Taylor Eye of Sauron suddenly turned on the Republican Party. And it's like, uh oh. And in fact, her silence may have given her even more power because it's more significant. I mean, she, let's face it, she made an endorsement in essentially a state race that wasn't on everyone's radar and the whole world's talking about it. That must be a little unnerving if you're a Republican, right? I think so. I think there there is um, a sense that at least the polling that's come out since this endorsement, which would have been conducted before the endorsement, but the Senate candidate there, the Democrat that Taylor endorsed, Phil Bredesen, um, has been lagging in the polls, but it's been a ricochet poll um, environment there in Tennessee. Wow. So if he loses, does that he's <laughs> really invalidate? He's, he's really embraced the Taylor endorsement. <laughs> he's had lots of corny tweets and statements about it. <laughs> he's Pokemon going to the Taylor Go <laughs> concert. 2020 is going to be wild with this. There's going to be, I think, actually, for all we were saying about people being reluctant to write songs about these issues and stuff, I, I think we may see the equivalent of a vote for change to where we may see a bunch of stuff. And given the, the added energy around women's issues is the other thing. I, when you combine all of that, we may not have seen anything else, anything yet, basically. What do you think, Bernie? Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more people speaking up. And I think a lot of people, there was a lot of fear around the Hillary campaign. And kind of, I think there's also just like a lot of people kind of going back and forth between what they want to support and who to support. And I think now that we've seen what happens, there's going to be a big shift. The kind of shit show is going to happen as possibly in the Democratic primary mm-hmm. because we already saw that with Bernie versus Hillary with various cultural figures getting behind both of them. If the sort of celebrity pop star thing is split four ways among Democrats, that's going to be the unfun part, I would imagine. You winced, Simon. Do you think I'm right or you just don't want to think about no, it? No, I'm just wincing remembering the 2016 primary. But, you know, I hope Taylor goes even farther to the left. I hope Taylor joins the DSA. That would be great. <laughs> I myself do not, but, 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 but go ahead. That is unlikely to happen. But you're you never know. This has been today's Rolling Stone Music Now. We talked about Kanye. We talked about Taylor. We talked about the paucity of political songs. It's possible maybe Woke Axel will write <laughs> a tremendous sort of November Rain style anti-Trump song <laughs> and simultaneously bring Guns N' Roses back to the top of the charts <laughs> and revive political music. I, I think it's going to be it. But thanks to uh, Simon Vozik Levinson and Brittany Spanos and Tessa Stewart making her debut on the show. It's uh, great to have an opportunity to get our political writer on the show. I have a feeling we'll have more opportunities as we were saying we'll be back next week here on Sirius XM's volume channel 106 Friday at 1pm in the meantime we are a podcast download us as a podcast subscribe to us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts iTunes Spotify wherever and do leave us a nice review on iTunes if you enjoy the show I read them all and we'll see you next week and as always thanks for listening